This is part two of our interview series with Professor Eric Custer. Welcome to Declassified College, a podcast where we give you all the cheat codes needed to pass this level in your life. Each week, we share three short episodes filled with clips of our interviews with students from across the United States and occasionally an interview with an industry expert to answer all of your questions about attending university. College can be what sets you up for a prosperous career, or it can be the four years that when you look back on it, you wish that you did it different. We're here to make sure that you have all the information so that by the time you walk across that stage, you're ready for the so-called real world that the boomers love to talk about. My name is Justin Wynn, and it's about time we declassified college. This is part two of our interview series with Professor Eric Custer. If you didn't catch part one, be sure to listen to it as we dove into how students can build relationships with their professors. In this episode, we focus more on how students can begin to differentiate themselves in the job searching process, how Eric has helped hundreds of students publish their own books, and Eric even shares his own cheat code to college at the very end. But that's enough about the episode. Let's jump into it. Mm -hmm. And is there a way, do you feel, from... For a student to kind of be seen when they may feel like they're a number in a classroom. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so I think like the the question is why do you want to be seen is probably the bigger question. Like, you know, mm. if you're if you're if you care about being seen from a grade standpoint, like, you know, I don't really think I think there's like a law of diminishing returns, right? Like people who just keep showing up and showing up to office hours without really like any reason behind it or value behind it, I think is sort of it does it kind of rings hollow pretty quickly. Like you're not going to really get more points if that's what you're trying to going for. I think the bigger thing of like the way to kind of quote unquote be seen, I believe is really to start to think about the experience of, of this like, hey, I see this student as someone who's going to be able to add value to me as a professor over time. And so the people that I think are engaged and want to sort of do more are people who say, hey, I know you might be looking for a research assistant. I know you might be sort of these things. That's the kind of scene you want. Because remember, go back to what I said before is. If you're someone who just wants to be to come into my class to get a grade, like then just do the work, you'll get the grade, all that sort of stuff. But if you're actually more interested in sort of a build, building a relationship, a mentor like thing, that comes from beyond the first class. It comes from doing research together. It comes from, you know, taking the next class, doing independent studies. So I think those are a lot of the things that you want to be thinking about is sort of for what, right? Like why do you want to sort of be seen and what value do you want for everyone? And I think if you can figure out that question for yourself, that's where it starts to matter. So one of the biggest questions that I had from the students that I interviewed beforehand was they wanted to know what the biggest challenge that people don't really understand when it comes to being a professor is. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a good question in terms of like the, I, you know, I think I think it depends on the type of professor, I guess I would say it this way. So I think the first thing to understand, and I think this is to sort of, if you as a student want to understand your professor, I think the first thing is to understand what type of professor they are. So before you can actually answer that question, sort of to understand, there's really like three main types of professors. The first one is the tenured professor or the tenure track professor. Now, these are people like my wife who her primary job is research. So it's not that she doesn't do teaching as an important job, but she's evaluated for her career on her ability to publish and create research. So 
that's the first type of professor, a tenure track professor. You'll know them because they typically have a title of something like assistant or associate professor or full professor. That's kind of the person. And again, when you look at their webpage, they, you know, they generally have an office that they go to. Um, they have someone who has a, you know, a, you know, they teach a couple classes, but they do research. And so they themselves would not define themselves as a teacher. Typically, when they talk about themselves, they would define themselves as a researcher. So if you're defining those things, that's the first type. The second one is what I would describe broadly as what's called a professor of practice. So a professor of practice is someone who their job is really teaching. So they are teaching, you know, sort of five to six classes a year. And their real job is to be sort of defined by how they teach. Their sort of metric is like how well they do in the classroom. The third type of person is what we call an adjunct professor. And an adjunct professor is someone more like me, who the teaching is something they do on the side. They have a hobby of it. You know, they like doing it. You know, I teach at Georgetown a couple of nights a week and a couple of times a year. But I, you know, I, I'm different in that way. So the first two types of people, their full-time job is tied to the university. The adjunct, like myself, is someone who, you know, we don't generally have offices. We come to class, you know, sporadically. And we, we really don't have a, I'd say, as much of an obligation to the student body outside of the class we teach. That's sort of the, what they think about the adjunct. The adjunct's job is to come, deliver a good class, and then really come back the next time and, and be there on campus. So adjuncts oftentimes are a little more different in the way that they do office hours, the way they sort of engage with campus, and that kind of way. So when you understand that the the teaching is something that they're doing, not because they make a lot of money from it, not because they're like, you know, their job is to sort of become a full-time professor. It's just that there's something they do to be a part of the, the, the craft is what that is. The middle person, the, the professor practice, they're really defined by the teaching aspect they do. So they do have office hours. They really do care a lot about kind of the outcome. They oftentimes are involved in a lot more administrative things on campus, and that's how they focus their time. But they're really dedicated to student success as a broader goal. And the third type of person is the, the, the researcher. It depends on the person. I mean, most of the sort of the, the tenure track professors, they really do care about the teaching part of it. But to understand that their, their success and what they're measured on in their job is not how great they are in a classroom. I mean, you know, they want to do a good job, but really like they, if they don't do a great job on research, they're going to lose their job. They won't be able to sort of keep their job working in, a, in the university in that regard. So I think that when you go back to like, what is the most difficult part of each of those three, I think that will help you understand more. So for the tenure track person, the person who's sort of the research person, what's the most difficult part of their job is not letting the teaching distract them from their ability to be a successful researcher. Because it's a balance. You know, you're, when you think about it, if their job is to produce these really like deep sort of thought pieces and research behind it, teaching is something that can distract them from research. And so it's not that they're not, they're not important to them. But it's a little bit like if you think about the key behind research is deep work. You need to be doing meaningful chunks of time. And so the biggest challenge of being a research active professor, and again, I'm married to one, is distraction. How do they wind up being able to have dedicated time to succeed in the research field? Um, and then again, how does teaching fit into that one? But it's not something that distracts it from them. The biggest challenge of being the professor of practice or the one who teaching is their job really is sort of making it, it sort of doing the best that they can to kind of balance all these needs from students. They're more interested in sort of student success and understanding that they sort of in a stack rank in the university, they're sort of not as sort of sort of prestigious, I would say, in the university setting in that way. So being a professor of practice, what's more difficult there is there's a lot of responsibilities to support students to do administrative work and these sorts of things that make that job different, difficult because there could be a lot of administrative asks of them. And then the, the, the adjunct professor like myself, the biggest challenge on that one is 
recognizing that we are we have a limited amount of time and brain energy we're able to dedicate to students. So it's not like easy for us to sort of come to campus and grab a quick coffee with you. We typically are there for short windows of time. And when we're there, we're pretty sort of busy and tied up. And then when we're outside of that, we have to do what we do to make, make our, our living and that sort of stuff. So I think those are the big things to think about is each different type of professor has a different type of challenges given by what they're motivated by. The, the researcher is motivated primarily and their job is judged by their ability to sort of produce high quality research. The, the sort of professor practice, they're really judged and evaluated by their ability to support students and to sort of deliver a good class. And the adjunct is really there because they enjoy doing it. Uh, and theirs is about a time balance on, on that way. Gotcha. Okay. So I want to jump into your creation of the Creator Institute. Could you elaborate a little bit about like what that is and what you're doing with all of that? Yeah. So, so I, as I sort of shared with you, I started teaching a lot by accident. I mean, I was asked to do it, uh, very flattered to get the chance to do it. And I was teaching, you know, as an adjunct a couple of nights a week, um, all about startups and entrepreneurship. And I was teaching, uh, you know, a class at Georgetown, really teaching people how to start companies. And, and I found the experience to be very fun. Like I really did enjoy it. I enjoyed meeting the students, working with them. But after about a year and a half or so of doing it, I started to get really unfulfilled about the whole experience. And the reason was, is I felt like we were doing all this work together. I was coming and, you know, coming to class and teaching people. But I felt like at the end of the semester, we really didn't have very much to show for what we'd done. <laughs> I mean, all we had was a grade at the end of the semester. And it was, it was a little bit disheartening, to be totally honest with you. I was like, man, I'm, you know, I've got a family. I've got a job. I've got all this stuff I'm doing. What is the point of me teaching in this classroom? Like, what am I trying to accomplish? And I think that's one of the big challenges as adjuncts we sometimes have is, does the work we're doing actually help our students? And so I, I sort of found myself a little bit disheartened and I, I had, was contemplating, should I even quit teaching, right? It wasn't feel like I was moving the needle for my students. And so I thought a lot about it and I was like, all right, well, I want to do something different. And so I reflected on my own life, like what had sort of most mattered to me. And as I looked at my own life, I realized in my 20s, I'd had this really unique opportunity to write and publish two books. Now, these books were not bestsellers. I didn't make any money from them, but the process for me was huge. It suddenly opened all these doors for me. So I thought about it a little bit. I was like, huh, well, what would happen if I just forced all my students to write books? <laughs> and so, you know, literally that's what I did. I, I was teaching this entrepreneurship class and, you know, I, in my mind, I was like, well, I'm, you know, I could quit anyways. Like, what's the worst that could happen for trying this experiment? What do they fire me? Uh, and so three weeks later, I walk into class after this epiphany and said to all my students, all of you guys are writing books this semester. Now, this was an entrepreneurship class. These were not English majors, but, um, you know, again, I told them this sort of like, challenge that we were going to do. And you can imagine the look on their faces when I told them this. I mean, it was like pure skepticism. Like, what is wrong with them? Why is he such a jerk? Why would he do this? Um, but <laughs> we don't even want to write a 15 page paper. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And I remember this very vividly and you'll appreciate this, Justin. I was, I was watching them as I was speaking. Cause I, I kind of attached this thing. I, I knew sort of what was going to happen, but I didn't have like very much of a plan yet. But I remember when I told them this, you're going to write a book, that they all sort of paused for a little while. And then every one of them picked up their phones and started frantically typing. And I thought to myself, the first thing I thought was, <laughs> this is a true story. I thought to myself, huh, they must think this is awesome. And they're texting all their friends how awesome this is. And I found out later, like a couple months later, that that wasn't what they were doing. They were all checking to see how many days left they had to drop the class. <laughs> so that was like, that was the real story. I love it. So, I love but, it. But you know, it was interesting is like, so I had no idea what happened. I mean, I, you know, it was group of students in the classroom and and you know they kind of walked away from the class not really tipping their hands to me 
And so I didn't know if this was going to be something that they were all going to freak out about and drop the class, but turned out that they didn't. I mean, the next week, the class doubled in size. They actually did go out and tell their friends and classmates, hey, this is a cool thing. Like, we might actually get the chance to do something together. And so that sort of single decision really changed a lot of things for me. I mean, what sort of, you know, this book experience from that first group of students, they did go on to sort of create books and publish. And so over the last two years, more than 200 of my students have gone on to publish books, which is sort of crazy when you realize that historically, it's about 30 or so college and graduate students a year have been publishing books. So it's a very, very unusual thing to do. And and what's also interesting is it's not only the book thing that's been so powerful, you know, publishing a book, but it's the doors is open for them. I and mean, I've got students now on national speaking tours and they've started their own companies and they work for NASA and Nike and Facebook and Google all because of these books. And so what happened next is part of where this whole Creator Institute thing emerged from is, you know, after people started to hear that there's this crazy guy at Georgetown's campus that helps students and grad students write books, I began to get all these people who were reaching out to me saying like, well, hey, Eric, I heard you're the book professor. Could you help me write a book? And I was like, uh, book professor, what are you talking about? Like, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't know how, you know, I don't teach at your school. I'm not really sure what you want me to do. Or, you know, the thing that I heard a lot from people who are alums and people who are, you know, graduates, they're like, Hey, can I just sit down in your class? And, and it, you know, that just didn't work. And so what happened about uh, you know 18 months ago, last fall, I approached Georgetown. I said, Hey, listen, there's something going on here. That's unique. It's special. Like I really want to figure out a way to make this whole thing more accessible. And I asked them if we could find a way to open source this class. And, you know, they were very skeptical at first and not surprisingly so, right? Like, how are you going to do it? Why is it going to work? Is this going to, you know, sort of commoditize our stuff? But eventually we came up with an approach. And so last fall, for the first time, I took a group of 24 students from nine campuses all over the country to the sort of open book community or club or group, whatever you want to call it. And it was really fun. We would get together weekly and kind of this, you know, virtual seminar. Um, there was no cost to do it. My deal with Georgetown is I would teach it kind of gratis. And, um, and we just went for it. The only rule that I had is I wanted to make sure that every single author had an editor, someone who was going to read their stuff, and give them feedback along. So everyone in the group chipped in 200 bucks. We hired professional editors and we went for it. And I had no idea how it was going to turn out, but it was, it was wild. Like from that first group of 24 students, 21 of them published this last summer, which wow. was insane. I know. And, uh, you know, when you realize that like 2% of people that start books ever finish, it's insane that how, how this worked. And so I thought, well, maybe this was just an accident. So we tried it again last spring semester. We opened it up further. Um, we had people who were from 60 different campuses, grad schools, people who were alums, people who were working, and, um, and more than 150 of them are publishing this winter. So that's really what has, has happened. And I think, you know, I, I would tell you this whole experience has been pretty, you know, transformative for me. I mean, it's an amazing thing to get to help someone do something. And what's interesting is you heard me talk earlier about this concept of, you know, thriving. When you, how do you thrive in your 20s? And it really fits into that. I mean, it was an accident that it happened. But the fact is, is that I help young people, ambitious students and, and grad students and, and, you know, early career professionals essentially do a project that takes them longer than a semester, right? Like that's the first part of it. And they build a kind of a mentor-like relationship with me. And that really, I think, is why so many of my students go on to thrive. Like that's what's happening to them is they are you know, they're doing what they want to do. They're opening doors for themselves. They're surprising. And it, it really does fundamentally change them. And so it's, it's sort of this labor of love for me. You know, as, as you heard, my life is sort of a complicated one. I mean, I still teach at Georgetown. So I teach a couple classes a year there. I have a, you know, I, I'm an entrepreneur. So I have, you know, consulting work I do and I pay the bills in those two ways. And then I have this sort of crazy hobby here with the Creator Institute stuff where uh, three times a year right now, I've been um, teaching these kind of open book communities. And so I'm starting my 
fifth group of authors in this open community. So, you know, the first one was last fall. I did a spring one, a summer one, and another fall one. And then in the spring semester of 2020, I'll do another group. And this group of authors, which looks like it'll be, you know, maybe around 150 to 200 authors will do this, be a part of this community. If they do it right, they'll be on a pace to publish their books by, uh, by December, which is kind of a crazy one-year accomplishment. That's amazing. And I think this whole project-based learning sort of thing is, is the future. Because, I mean, it's the only way for me, at least, that you can actually see something tangible that you've actually worked on. Like, There is nothing worse for me than going into my finance class, being able to ace the test, right? But then that's all I got was like, mm-hmm an A. And I was like, what does that do for me in life? Like, yeah, maybe I know some concepts and yeah, I can take that if I wanted to go work on Wall Street or something, but there's no real tangible real world experience that I can kind of correlate that to. And what you're doing with the book project, I think is, is amazing because if I was a student, I would definitely be a part of that because it not only gives you leverage when you're like looking to build up your resume and everything, but the process, like you said, that you learn throughout the whole thing is probably eye-opening for a lot of the students attending. It is. And I think it's, you know, I think it's so powerful about all of it is it sort of goes back to what I just believe at my core. And it was funny, right? The, the number of people when I told, hey, I'm going to make all my students write books, were like, oh, well, your students, they're going to drop out. They don't want to work very hard. Like all this like snowflakes sort of talk. I think it's really like, I think there's this sort of negative stigma that today a lot of people who are in their, you know, teens and 20s in college get it's not their fault, right? I mean, I, I really don't blame sort of people who are in college or recent graduates that they don't want to work hard. I really, you know, sometimes people say that to me. They're like, oh, you know, what's the deal with this young generation? They just don't want to work very hard. And I was like, I don't think that's true. <laughs> I do think, though, that your generation and of college students and grad students, you guys are really smart about the kind of work you want to do. So it's not that you don't want to work hard, but it is that you want to work on stuff that's actually going to matter. And so you don't, you know, generally speaking, a lot of the students I see, they don't want to like do work that doesn't matter, right? Like they don't want to just do make-believe stuff. They want to do stuff that's going to be important, that's going to help them in these things. And so that's, I think, part of what I'm sort of very focused on today is sort of saying, this is working, I think, because the authors that are participating in it, they're, you know, they're people who like do want to sort of do something different. They do want to open these doors. And I think that, you know, where people say to themselves, I want to be thriving. I want to be one of these people that are in the, the one versus the seven. That, that they have to think about their lives and careers differently. And so that's what I think is so interesting is the people drawn to it say, hey, I got to find my own approach to do this one because frankly, the college isn't setting me up for that, right? And it's not, it's just not designed to, right? College is a credentialing you know, endeavor. And your goal is to sort of get a piece of paper at the end that says, hey, you made it through this program, but it's not set up to help you figure out your path, to be able to sort of build your portfolio, to stand out. And most importantly, it's not really taught to how to do some of the skills you're going to need. like. It's not going to teach you how to, you know, write something that's of this substance and this depth. It's not going to teach you how to talk to people to learn in that way. It's not going to teach you how to how to sell. It's just not going to teach you a lot of those things. And it's not bad. It's just not designed to do that either, right? College isn't designed to sort of sort of do these things for you. And and I think that's where sometimes students get miffed is they're like, but I went to school. I went to the best school I got into because that's what my you know everyone told me I needed to do. And now here I am. I'm not happy. I'm you know I'm, this is you know, I'm, I'm working a job I don't want. And, and I think that the, the best students today are really taking autonomy and control over their career. And that's, I think, the thing that's really different is that the people that are sort of looking at their life and saying, hey, I need to own this trajectory, not be owned by it, are the people that succeed. I 100% agree with everything that you just said. Like, I love that you kind of 
encapsulated everything in terms of like the bad stereotypes given to millennials and Gen Zs of not necessarily working the hardest of us really just really wanting to do work that we can see yep. matters rather than just the work that we're told to do. Because a lot of us, we've done the things that we've been told to do our whole lives and we're not really seeing the results. Case in point, when I was, I, when I was in college, I got the 4.0, I did the clubs and everything, but I couldn't even get a call back for an internship. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started this whole journey of figuring out the college hacks and how to actually network and how to actually get around in the world of college and, and the real world after that. And it's been really eye-opening for all that. But I think that's a great transition to kind of lead off the, the end of this interview. So before I ask the last question, where can people learn more about you? Where can they learn about the Creator Institute and then everything that you're creating online? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I try to be active wherever I can, you know, I think it's I'm trying to balance all these things. But I, you know, what I try to do is celebrate what I'm learning about this piece. I think my big mission in life is really to help people to help everyone sort of have this something meaningful and personal that they get to work on and create. And that's kind of my goal is I'd like to, you know, I've set this sort of goal for myself for the next 10 years to help create 10,000 authors. That's what I want to do. And so I talk a lot about this on sort of, you know, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn, which is how you and I connected. I am uh, able to do a lot on Instagram, but I think find me there. And I think what I would tell you is if it's interesting and you're sort of interested in it, uh, you know, I try to do these open communities of people and, and it's, it is this, you know, I've had to think very differently to make it work. I, you know, it is a, it is a labor of love for sure. But I think that if you're interested and you're like, Hey, this kind of sounds like it makes sense. I might be interested just let me know, reach out to me and see if I can help you in that journey. Because I do think that the challenge that a lot of people see, see today is, hey, I maybe I should go to graduate school. That's going to be the thing that unlocks it for me. Or maybe I need to switch job. That's going to unlock it for me. I think if you're feeling that way, you're feeling stuck or you're like, hey, I need to switch majors, like those sorts of things where you feel like maybe if you switch into something else that everyone else is doing, it's going to fix it for you. You're the type of person that needs to do something hard like a book or, you know what I mean? And, and I've now taught this in other ways, but for the most part, I do, I find a lot of people that are like writing really resonate with this book experience. So I think where you find yourself stuck and you're looking to make one of these, I would call them the common switches, the switch major, the switch jobs or the switch graduate school. Those are the type of people that actually should pause for a second and say, is this actually the right move for me? You know, is it going to really get me what I want to go? And, and, you know, like I said, reach out to me and, and I try to, you know, I try to sort of say rather than, hey, let's like give me give you some advice. Let's work on something together. Like I don't I don't really want to just give you advice. I want to actually help you do something, which goes back to the earlier thing. If I can if a student comes to me and said, hey, I'm feeling stuck, I'm, I'm ready to do something different. And I say, hey, let's go write a book. I don't want you to be one of the zero people that gets back to me. I want you to say I want to tackle something. Otherwise, I don't really believe you that you want to change. Right. Like if you don't really want to do something hard, you're not going to get that opportunity to change. So find me wherever. I mean, like I said, Creator Institute, you know, creator.institute is the website. You can find me anywhere uh, it is. And it's just, you know, Eric Custer. Uh, but just reach out. And I think I do these sort of, I try to do these groups whenever I can. Um, you know, it is like a third of my life, but I try to spend, you know, at least right now in the, the spring semester, and I'm likely to do a group in the summertime. Uh, hopefully in the fall, we'll see as schedules work out. But every sort of semester, I try and create this open community. And it's wild. It is really, really a wild experience to see you know, this week is the kickoff of it. And to have like 50 or 60 people like hanging out with each other, talking about their books, like fired up about it. It is an awesome community of people that are all kind of like you, Justin. They're people who are like, listen, I'm not going to do the status quo. I'm going to do something different. It may be hard. People may not get it, but I'm going to do something awesome. Yeah, I absolutely love the mission that you're on. And I think you're, you're definitely headed in the right direction with it all. 
And if you are going to reach out to Eric, please don't be one of those 82 people that doesn't get back to him after he gives you an assignment. Please don't. Um, so the final question that I want to ask you is, this podcast is called Declassifying College. If there is one college hack that you can remember from your time when you were in college or something that you've learned now being a professor, what would that hack be for you? The biggest sort of hack that I would tell you is don't worry about your major. Um, the biggest thing that I think I find students do is they sort of obsess over how important it is their major and they create these complicated major and minor schemes. Only about 21% of people have a job that relates it all to their major. So the major itself is this thing that I think people obsess on. And I was the same way. I was like, oh, well, I got to be this major and this thing and this other thing and this other minor. And like, that's going to matter. It really doesn't. Like I, when I'm hiring people, I don't care whether you're a business student or an, an economic student. I'm trying to look at your portfolio. So the biggest hack that I would tell you is rather than looking at your resume and all the names of those places that you've worked or the sort of majors you have, focus on your portfolio. What can you give me when you're on a job interview that I can read and evaluate for myself? So the biggest hack that I would sort of say is if you don't have a writing sample, that's something that you can give to me that I can judge you for it, create one. If you don't have a design portfolio that I can look at, like create one. If you don't have something that you can show me that the works you've done, create it. Because I think the problem is, is that you're competing with everyone else and all these sorts of brand names that people put on their resume. The resume is just a list of places that you have been, not a list of the things you've actually done. And so focus on those things you've done. That's the thing that's going to get you hired at places that are surprising, not the things that you've sort of where you've done them. Another day, another cheat code, and you're on your way to defeating the level that we like to call college. If you've liked any of the cheat codes that we've given out, please hit that subscribe button and give us a review on iTunes. Each review helps us grow and make sure that more people learn these tips. We love to hear from you all, so make sure you check out our website, www.getchillgrindup.com, and follow us on all social media platforms at getchillgrindup. That's G-E-T-C-H-O-G-R-I-N-D-U-P. So until next time, peace.